Well, not every woman fakes orgasm, and most don't do it routinely. It's the rare woman who hasn't done it at least once. And if there were any doubt, the iconic scene in When Harry Met Sally is a testimony to just how convincing women can be. Most women at one time or another have faked it, says Meg Ryan as Sally in this iconic movie, which is still as relevant today as it was in 1989. It may have been 30 years since she enacted her very impressive orgasm in the middle of Katz's Deli, but recent studies show that her words continue to hold true. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. When it comes to menopause, midlife, and what comes after, I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. If women are given good information, they will make good choices, and I'm here to give you the inside information. Early research indicated that roughly 55% of women had faked orgasm at least once in their lifetime. This general pattern has since been confirmed in more recent studies, some reporting rates as high as 74%. Research has looked at factors that are predictive of faking an orgasm. No surprise, there's a very high correlation between women with difficulty reaching orgasm in any circumstance and faking it when they're with a partner. Given that inability to have an orgasm is the second most common sexual complaint post-menopause, I suspect that menopausal women have much higher rates of faking it than younger women. This has not been studied. The type of relationship also has an impact. In one recent study, the prevalence of ever faking orgasm in a romantic relationship was 62%, but the prevalence for one-night stands and long-term relationships were both around 40%. Not sure what to make of that statistic. It's not hard to come up with a list of why women fake orgasm. At the top of the list are women who know that having an orgasm is about as likely as winning the lottery, and they just want their partner to stop trying, especially if they want to get some sleep. Some women know that he will be so excited that she's had an orgasm and that will get him to come faster. That also goes under the heading of stop trying already. Many women report that they fake orgasm because it makes their partner happy. That's nice. But women that fake it so that he won't feel like a failure? Well, it's not always about him. Which brings me to women who fake it so they don't feel like a failure or feel like there's something wrong with them if they don't come. And no surprise, you don't have to be an Academy Award-winning actress to deliver a believable performance. An Indiana University study showed that while 85% of the men surveyed said that their latest sexual partner had had an orgasm, only 64% of those women said that they climaxed the last time they had sex. So not only did 21% of these women fake it, but 100% of the time, the guys believed it, proving that women are better actors than they think. Instead of working on getting the award for best performance for faking an orgasm, it's probably a better idea to communicate to your partner that even if you don't have an orgasm, you're still having a really good time. But is it ever okay to fake it? Could it ever enhance a relationship? Make sex more exciting? I don't know. I'm a gynecologist, not a sex therapist. And that's why I decided to talk to an expert. Rachel Zarr is an ASEX certified sex therapist with a master's degree in marital and family therapy, and in a couple of months will complete her PhD in clinical sexology. In addition to being one of my most favorite people on earth, Rachel is my daughter. Hey, Rach, thanks for hanging out with your mom on Zoom and jumping in to help me out on this one. 
you know, this isn't exactly what I meant by let's have some mother daughter time today, but I'll take it. It's always fun to do this with you. <laughs> you know, the, a lot of people ask if Rachel and I talk about sex all the time. And the answer is no, we don't, unless we are in a professional capacity, such as this, because we do a lot of talks together and we do a lot of lectures together and we do this kind of thing together. But it's not like when we're hanging out, this is what we're talking about. We do not. Only sometimes. I, only sometimes. <laughs> but I do love that, that we can do this together. In addition to being a sex therapist, you're also a writer. And when I was prepping this episode, I came across an article you wrote titled Faking It, Why We Do It and Why We Shouldn't. So it's no secret where you stand on this. But <laughs> but before we get to why people shouldn't fake it. So you heard the statistics I just gave. Does that surprise you? Is that kind of line up with what you see in practice? It doesn't surprise me at all. And it absolutely lines up with what I'm seeing a lot of the time, especially if you consider that the folks that tend to be coming into seeing a sex therapist are those who either struggle with orgasm and pleasure, or they struggle with communication with a partner or desire discrepancy. So they're not having wanting the same amount of sex or wanting the same kind of sex. It makes a lot of sense that either not having orgasms or faking orgasms would come into the picture. I'm kind of curious when someone comes in with, with those kinds of concerns, do you ask them? I mean, I know you ask them if they have orgasms, but do you specifically ask, do you fake it? I will say generally, I'm not asking that directly, especially if someone's partner is in the room, because right. we also have to think about if you've been faking it with your partner for months, years, decades, right? Coming right out and saying, yeah, I've been faking it our whole relationship, right? That's a bigger, important conversation. The thing that I will always ask when I'm getting to know a couple's sexual style is how do you know when sex is over? How do you decide then it's that it's done? What does the end of a sexual experience tend to look like? And a lot of times folks will say to me, well, we know it's over when both of us have an orgasm. And then I'll say, great. How do you know that both of you have had an orgasm? What is the communication like? What are the things that tend to get you both to the point of having an orgasm? And then there are certain things that they'll tell me that will raise my antenna up around, hmm, I wonder if that's what's actually happening. Yeah. Well, you know, to that point, when I was talking about reasons why women fake it, one of the things that I didn't mention, and, and quite frankly, doesn't come up that often, is this misconception that people generally have simultaneous orgasms. So the guy will come and then he'll say to his partner, hey, did you come too? And because she thinks she was supposed to, because that's what happens in the movies, mm -hmm. she says, oh, yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. It was wonderful. When in fact, she's sitting there thinking, uh, no, didn't happen. You think that's part of it, that people have this notion that they're supposed to orgasm simultaneously? Absolutely. I think it's a huge part of it. And I think what we saw in the research that you cited is that a big reason that those with vulvas and vaginas will fake orgasms is because they don't want their partner to know that something is happening that they think is abnormal or that they think is, is something that's wrong with them. Because we really are given this message that we're supposed to, that cis women who are having sex with cis men are supposed to have an orgasm from the same things and at the same time that he will have an orgasm from. And what we know about anatomy just means that that's not true. Right. That it's the things that happen. tend to make vulvas and vaginas have an orgasm is just very different than for penises. Okay. So just for the sake of discussion, let's mm -hmm. say that you have a couple that they've agreed in advance 
that they're not going to have orgasms for whatever reason. Okay. Okay. How, how they, I never heard that one, but okay. I guess what I'm getting at is, is if orgasm is, doesn't signal the end of sex, what does signal the end of sex? How do you communicate to your partner? Well, this is really lovely. And now let's go and have breakfast. That was it right there. This was really lovely. Thank you. This was really pleasurable. What I'd like to think of instead of orgasm, because especially for folks who have trouble reaching orgasm or have trouble reaching orgasm in a partnered setting, is instead of thinking of orgasm, think about what is my personal peak of pleasure, right? When have I reached my peak? If you're able to communicate that to a partner, I've reached my peak and I'm ready to do something else now, right? Everyone's experienced that feeling of that kind of rise, rise, rise and arise and arousal. And then for whatever reason, whether we've had an orgasm or not, it starts to fall. There are two ways that one can proceed from there. One is, hey, partner, here's an invitation to do something that's going to make me rise up again, right? The other is I realize that Either I'm not going to rise again, I don't really want to, I'd rather be doing something else, or I'm too distracted, I'm too tired, or my body is sore, whatever it is. And we can say to a partner, I have reached my peak, I am satisfied, I am ready to move on to something else. And to also say, is there anything else that you'd like? Have you reached your peak? Are you feeling satisfied? Right? That can be a really beautiful conversation. Yeah, well, that, that sounds really lovely and all, but but what's the problem with faking it? I mean, it makes everybody happy. It makes the woman feel normal. It makes a guy feel like he did a great job. Why is it so bad for people to fake it? Does it make everyone feel happy? I mean, that's the real question here, that a lot of the reason that women tend to fake it is because they think it's the kind thing to do for their partner. Let's start there. First of all, when I have had women say to their male partners, I've been faking it for a while, I very rarely hear the response, thank you so much for doing that for me, right? Instead, what I hear is, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I wish you'd been able to tell me, right? Our partners actually want to know what's really going on for us and how they can really be a part of a pleasurable experience for that. So I would actually argue that it's not the kindest way, especially if it's a consistent. Rachel, there is a big difference between someone who fakes it every single time versus the woman who once in a while, she's got to, you know, get up early for work the next day. She's exhausted. She's really not in the mood. She's just kind of going along with the program because she does love her partner and wants to make him happy. And she fakes it just so that she can kind of put an end to it and go to sleep. Is that so terrible once in a while? Is it so terrible every once in a while to tell a little white lies to our partner, to act like we're enjoying something that we're not really? No, it's not so terrible. We do things like that all the time. Sometimes it's a very generous omission, especially if there's like, oh, well, he assumed that I had an orgasm and I didn't correct him. Okay. It happens. Is it the biggest disaster? No. Is it something that over time can start to give the wrong message to our partners about what tends to work for us? Absolutely. And I would also ask those same women, what prevents you from being honest? in that moment, right? What is there something that bad that would happen if you said to your partner, that was so lovely. I didn't have an orgasm and I had a really nice time. Well, I think what that comes down to, now I don't want to oversimplify, but there's a difference between the partner who's doing 
everything right. You know, he's a, he's a generous, loving, wonderful partner who is doing, you know, all the, the right moves, if you want to put it that way, sure. versus the guy who is completely clueless. And, and those are two different situations. So first, let's talk about how would you advise, and we're for the purposes right now, we're going to get to other relationships later, but for the purposes of right now, we are going to be focusing on heterosexual male and female partners. Okay. So if this woman is thinking, well, I'm never going to have an orgasm because he's clueless. What should she do? Is this a conversation to have in the moment? Is this a conversation to have later? What's the general approach? Yes. It's a conversation to have in the moment. It's a conversation to have later. The advice that I often give to folks in this kind of scenario Nobody likes to hear you're doing it wrong. You are clueless. Okay. Right? Maybe the, the wording <laughs> Not, could be different. Right. I know. But there's a, but the question is, are you, can you offer this instead of a critique as an invitation? Because what we know is that even the quote unquote best lovers in the world who have been quote unquote very successful with all, all of their past lovers who had an orgasm every single time, our bodies are unique. Our bodies like different things. So it's a lovely thing to offer to your partner. Hey, would you like to know more about what feels really good for me? You can always pick something out and say that specific thing you did is what felt the best in that, in that specific scenario, right? Offer your partner what they're doing that is working instead of focusing on, oh, when you touch me like that, it just feels like you might as well be rubbing my elbow right? We don't want to give that kind of feedback. But we want to say is, it would feel really good if you could touch my clitoris like this. It would feel really good if you could hold me like this. Invitations instead of critiques always do better. Okay. I get that. But what about the woman who knows? She knows, 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 and particularly in the postmenopause crowd, because I've talked sure. about this a lot, the woman who knows that she's not going to have an orgasm without a little vibration in the picture. Mm-hmm. And instead of you know, slinking off to the bathroom after her partner goes to bed and getting her trusted vibrator out, if she wants to introduce a vibrator in the moment to a partner who they've never used one before, but she knows that's the only way she's going to orgasm. Is that a conversation you have in the moment or is that one that you have at another time? And how do you have that conversation? I think some of this is about knowing your partner and how open to new and different sexual things they tend to be too often. And this comes back to the research you cited where women often feel like there's something wrong or broken about them if they need a vibrator or if let's be honest, they want a vibrator or vibrators are the things that work the best. If we offer it to our partner as an apology, I'm so sorry, but I think I need a vibrator. Would that be okay? Like, is your penis going to survive if it's not the only thing that's involved in getting me to a point of orgasm, right? They're going to receive it that way. Oh no, something's wrong with her. Something's wrong with me. What's going on here? But again, if we can offer it as an invitation, you know, it would be really fun. You know, it would make me have the best orgasm ever is if we can bring in this toy. And maybe I could try it on you too, right? Penises like vibrations too. I just happen to have it here under my bed. (laughs) It's it's something fun. It's something that's additional. It's a tool for both of you. But if we meet it with shame and an apology, and I'm so sorry that I'm broken in this way. Yeah. Right. It's going to be received The same thing could be said for needing a lubricant. You know, it's a little bit topic, but we also know that no one, is going to have an orgasm if she's having pain and if she's not aroused. 
whenever I've talked about the requirements of having an orgasm, those two are at the top of the list that you Mm -hmm. can't have pain and there has to be arousal. And a lot of times that is going to require a decent silicone lube to get things going. So it's the same thing. It's not an apology. It's not, oh my God, I'm old and my vagina is so dry. You can't believe it. If I don't have some lubricant, nothing's going to happen. Yes. It's, you know what I love? Really slippery sex. You know what I I have that will help us get there? This great lubricant. Do you want to try it? Right? It's a totally different energy and it's sexier, right? So often we approach talking about sex in a way that's just not sexy. And there's really easy ways that we can flip that script. So let's talk about the other scenario that you have a partner who's not clueless, the guy who really is doing all the right things. He's got lubricant in one hand, your vibrator in the other hand. He's touching everything. He's followed all the instructions. He's read the manual. He's doing nothing wrong. This is a guy that does not need any further instruction, but it's just not gonna happen. You know, a woman might have a medical reason that she's just not going to orgasm. It just might be that day, whatever. What should she say? Well, first of all, it is so normal to have times, even if you're someone who can have orgasms and has orgasms frequently, context is really important, right? Time of day, how you're feeling in your relationship, how stressed out you are, how tired you are. All of these factors really come into play when we're talking about orgasms. So it's really, really normal. Again, it's not something you have to offer as an apology. It's just a part of being human. And again, this language of I've reached my peak, I feel satisfied, I'm ready to stop. Can we transition to something else? It's not an apology. It's not womp womp. I'm not going to get there today. I'm so sorry. Oh, I really wanted to come and I didn't. Right? What a sad, unsexy way to end sex. (laughs) It's just sad. And what we know also is that as humans, we tend to code or categorize experiences based on how they end. So if we end in a way that's really like, didn't reach orgasm, I feel so sad and disappointed. And I swear, I promise you did everything right. It's just my body. I'm broken. I don't know what's up. This is so awful, awful, awful. We're going to code in our brains that entire sexual experience is being sad and disappointing, even though in all likelihood, there were really pleasurable, positive moments. Yeah. So if we can, again, just if communication is so important, flip the script. That was great. I feel so satisfied. You know, we can say I didn't have an orgasm and I don't think I'm going to today. And that was wonderful. I've reached my peak. I'm ready to transition to something else. Will you hold me as I fall asleep? Can we do the wordle, right? Something that shifts to something else that's positive and connecting, right? Because we know, and I'll just add this into the why shouldn't we fake orgasms category. The thing is that that experience of having your partner really present and involved in, you know, an orgasmic experience when you know that you're faking it and you're not really present can feel really disconnecting. And again, if a sexual experience ends that way, we might code the entire sexual experience as being disconnected. Yeah. And it's going to make us less likely to initiate sex or to enjoy sex going forward. Yeah, I quoted the Indiana University study about men not knowing that their partners were faking it, that mm-hmm. basically 100% of the time they they believed the act. And I don't know if that study is really representative of, of the real world. Have you ever had a couple that they have the discussion and the woman says, I've been faking it, and the guy says, I know, but I didn't want to say anything because it seemed important to you to, you know, or something. has that ever come up? 
know that I've ever seen that exact scenario. I will say that partners can generally pick up on when you're really into something and when you're not, right? Mm. That they, you know, if a partner is attuned, if they're looking out for it. But I also don't think that the fact that we see in heterosexual couples that men don't necessarily guess that women are faking it. I don't see that as like a men are totally clueless. It's like, why would they assume that we're well, faking of course it, right? They, it's, yeah. they want to believe us. Every woman does different things with her body, says different things when she has an orgasm, right? So there's no like clear tell there unless they're like feeling for the contractions in our bodies, right? right but it's right. just they're not necessarily going to know. I'd also like to know your thoughts on that other study I quoted that it appears that the the length of relationship and the type of relationship also impacts on the likelihood that someone's going to fake it. In a romantic relationship, the prevalence of faking it was 62%, but in one night stands and longer term relationships, it was more about 40%. What do you think? I think there are a lot of differences between the sex that we have in a one night stand situation and a casual situation versus in a long-term relationship. And in some ways, I'm surprised by that number because we do also know that those in female bodies are just less likely to have an orgasm in a one night stand casual situation than they are in a long-term relationship. At the same time, I think in a long-term relationship, what could add to the likelihood of faking is that we do tend to have what we call new relationship energy um, at the start of a relationship, which means that the context is sexier. So things that might have worked at the start of your relationship might not work yeah. the further into your relationship you get. We also start to care and love about uh, love our partners more. And that might make us more coddling about their feelings, right? I don't want to hurt them, right? Uh, they've been thinking that this thing is working for so right. long and now I can't tell them now, right? So that makes sense to me in terms of- Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my take. Up. If someone in a one night stand is less likely to fake it because this isn't an ongoing relationship, If they hurt his feelings that he's not doing a good job or whatever, you know, it's just, it's not as important. So not not to mention also the prevalence of alcohol and other substances that can make it very normal for people. There there is that. And Mm -hmm. I'd mentioned, I had not seen anything written about the likelihood of faking it post-menopause or with a medical condition. I don't know if you've seen anything like that or if that's something you've noticed in your practice, because I know that you see all ages. You have women in their 20s and you have women who are in their 60s, 70s and 80s. So mm-hmm. have you noticed that it's more likely for a woman who just it's not going to happen under any circumstances to fake it than women that it's just in that moment? I haven't seen any studies either, but I think if we come back to this idea that when people feel that something is fundamentally broken or wrong with their bodies, they don't want their partners to know that I could see the tendency to try to fake it or pretend like everything's okay, um, even as your body is changing and shifting. And of course, there are all kinds of reasons that your body changes and shifts throughout, especially along. Sure. It's not just menopause. I mean, there's a lot of medical conditions that are going to get in the way. Studies that I looked at, no surprise, only included heterosexual couples. Have you uh-huh. seen any data about faking it in same-sex or non-binary couples? I did a little digging and found a really old study from 2000 that showed that there was a lower prevalence of women in relationships with other women who have faked an orgasm. And the numbers that I found, it was 59% of gay women versus 68% of straight yeah, women so, yeah. have faked an orgasm. 
The thing that we do know, though, that I think is really important for this is when we think about the frequency or the amount that women are actually having orgasms, we do see a much, and when I say much, I mean much higher rate of orgasm in women who are having sex with other women than in women who are having sex with men. There are a lot of reasons for that that we can go into, but the numbers are really shocking. It's 86% of lesbian women versus 65% of straight women that report having an orgasm during sex. Yeah. Well, in my episode with with Dr. Lori Menson, we talked a lot about the orgasm gap. And certainly we addressed that whole issue about how two women having sex are far more likely to have satisfying sex and orgasmic sex than in a heterosexual relationship. So that Mm -hmm. does not surprise me. How about non-binary world? I know that there's nothing in the uh, scientific literature, but Mm -hmm. in your practice, have you noticed any trends? Well, I think what we tend to see in folks who are queer, who are non-binary, who are living outside of this cis heteronormative script is that there is already this expectation that we're breaking free of this kind of all roads lead to penis and vagina intercourse. And everyone's supposed to have an orgasm at the exact same time. And the penis is the thing that dictates when we have an orgasm. Lori Mintz talks a lot about this, the sexual script that we all have in our head. Once you break free of that cis hetero script, there does tend to be a lot more flexibility, a lot more communication, right? When you don't have a roadmap, you have to co-create a roadmap with your partner. So we see anywhere that's anyone that's living outside of that really binary black and white script. I think what I tend to see and what the research tends to show is that there is a higher likelihood of better communication and of orgasms and really pleasure and satisfaction. They're they're already having the conversation. (laughs) Exactly. Because there's no, there's not an, there's not an assumption. There's not necessarily a default in the way. And the default that heterosexual couples are getting, quite frankly, was designed by men for men and it needs to be rewritten. Why am I not surprised? We've talked a lot about women faking it and why Mm -hmm. they fake it, but evidently women are not the only ones who are great actors. And in one study, it's an older study, but in one study, 25% of men said they sometimes fake orgasm, which is a little trickier since there's that physical evidence. But does that surprise you? Have you seen any studies on this? Mm -hmm. It doesn't surprise me at all. I hear about it all the time. Um, And the thing that comes up a lot as a sex therapist and just in the sexology world is just this really intense pressure that's put on penises to perform in a lot of different ways, right? To maintain an erection, to have orgasms. The heterosexual script, again, is that women, if they don't have an orgasm, eh, whatever, who cares? It happens. Women just don't have orgasms all the time. But the script for men is that they're supposed to have an orgasm reliably every time from penis in vagina sex. And that's also harmful to men because men, despite popular beliefs, are not just quote unquote easy when it comes to sex, right? They have context too. They have stress. They have things that come into their mind. They have things that impact their bodies. Mm. Um, And for a lot of times, men just aren't going to have an orgasm either. And it's really important that we're able to also have that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's partner. interesting so it's because, surprising. because as you talk about it, it's occurred to me that for men, there's actually a lot more pressure 
than for women because women are not necessarily expected to have orgasms, but men are. And if they don't, I mean, talk about being labeled broken or there's something wrong with you or you're not masculine or you're not a man. I mean, I can only imagine what is going through a guy's head if he knows that he is not going to have an orgasm. And I think a lot of what happens is they just completely go into avoidance mode. You know, if a woman knows she's not going to have an orgasm, correct me if I'm wrong, but she will generally assume she's not having pain or other circumstances. If she's in a loving relationship, whether she has an expectation of an orgasm or not, she's going to engage in sexual activity. But if a guy knows he's not going to have an orgasm, it seems to me that he's going to be cleaning out the garage before he's going <laughs> to jump into bed because he just doesn't want to be a failure again. Sure. And, and as I'm you not said, even talking a- about erectile dysfunction, because that's a whole different topic. Well, it's different it, and it's, it's also similar. I mean, yeah. it's a lot of the same things need to happen in order to maintain an erection that need to happen in order to have an orgasm. And I'd say, yes, that's a big overgeneralization. And you're right in the sense that men will tend to, and women will too, tend to avoid sex that they know is not going to be quote unquote successful or that's not going to end the way they want to, which I think, again, is why it's so important for folks of all genders in all sorts of relationships to really think about how is the sex that we're having ending and how do we communicate to each other that we're satisfied and happy that we did it and glad to be there, as opposed to putting all of this pressure on performance that when push comes to shove actually tells us very little about what's going on between us, what's going on in the relationship, whether or not it was good sex, right? An orgasm is actually just a very small part of what can be a very full, pleasurable sexual experience. So both people can have a really good time, even if neither one ends up having an orgasm. Absolutely. And And both people can have a really good time if it's asynchronous, right? If one person is having orgasms and the other isn't. And and that's it's about what's the sexual energy between you. But I think also it's about expectations. And if in advance people know that when they are sexual with each other, that it's not necessarily going to end an orgasm, that changes, as you said, the whole script. And And there's a part of me that's saying, okay, so this sounds like it would be an important conversation to have, not in the moment, but in advance or at another time saying, I love being sexual with you Mm -hmm. and it feels really nice. And I just want you to know that whether you have an orgasm or I have an orgasm doesn't make it less pleasurable. That's as long as that's true. That is a beautiful thing to say. Or I think to be honest, you can say, I don't get the same kind of pleasure. You know, sure, I like to have orgasms. And if it's not going to happen, it may be slightly disappointing, but it doesn't mean that I don't want to go there. That's again, because we tend to code things based on how they how they end. It's really, really can add to the sexual experience if you're thinking about all of the little moments along the way that makes sex really, really pleasurable. And actually the best sex is sex that's really focused in the moment on what's happening right now between me and my partner and not so much on where is this going? How can we get to this end point? Yeah. Too much pressure, right? We don't do... We don't do anything like that. Why would we do sex like that? But there's one scenario that we didn't really talk about. And that's Mm -hmm. the woman who she's not having pain, but it's just not particularly pleasurable to her. There's no pleasure in it other than the intimacy, if you will. And and she just wants it to end already because she wants to go to bed. She wants to go Mm -hmm. to sleep. She she has something else she needs to do. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit different because 
the script that you're talking about is saying, even without an orgasm, this is still pleasurable. I'm still enjoying it. This is still fun. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the woman who's thinking, this really isn't much fun for me. I'm just Mm -hmm. doing it because he wants to. What's the script then? Yeah. Well, I would invite that woman, first of all, to think about how she's categorizing that for herself. The example that comes to mind is like, if you're going to a movie that you really don't have all that much interest in seeing, like let's take Oppenheimer and Barbie, right? I really want to see Barbie. My partner really wants to see Oppenheimer. I can go and I can suffer through it and I can be miserable the whole time. Or I can go with the mindset of, hey, this is really exciting for him. I'm going to get joy out of the look on his face. I'm going to hold his hand. I'm going to go ooh and on all the right Oppenheimer's a really long movie. I don't know. Well, to be honest, I haven't seen it. But the metaphor being that we do a lot of things for and with our partners as gifts to them. Right. Like I go to a baseball game, but I generally bring the the New York Times with me so that I have something to do during the baseball game. Right. But that's a very different energy, right? If we think about the idea of I'm going to show up to sex, but I'm going to hate it the whole time. Well, I might say maybe it's not best for your relationship for you to be going to that baseball game, for you to be showing up for sex. But if you're able to show up to sex and say, this is something that I do for you, it's a gift for you, it excites me to see you in, you know, having a pleasurable experience, then that can be a really beautiful way to show up for sex. Does it mean that you're showing up and faking orgasms left and right? Probably not, right? That's that's disingenuous. But to say, I know that this is something that's really important to you. Therefore, let's do it for you as a gift because I love you and I want to show up for you and I want to be present with you. And there are parts of it that I really enjoy, right? As long as that's true. But I don't think that a woman should be forcing herself through a sexual experience that really isn't pleasurable at all. Is there anything I didn't ask you? Is there anything you want to add? Yes, there is one thing that I was thinking about. Another reason that I think faking it can be really good and really pleasurable. We think a lot about the idea that women especially tend to have what's called a response and desire, right? That the context needs to be really, really sexy in order for us to get aroused, to feel pleasure, to feel desire. Sometimes what helps us get into the mood is acting as if we are having a great time. So a lot of folks will really enjoy making the oohs and ahs, you know, the Meg Ryan in When Harry Met Sally noises in order to turn her herself on. And that can be a really lovely way in masturbation, in partnered sex to get yourself in the mood. The other thing that can be a really good reason to fake an orgasm is if it's role play, if it's pretend, right? If you're having a conversation with your partner and they say, you know, my fantasy is that you'll have 10 orgasms over the span of, you know, this 20 minute sex that we're about to have. And you're saying in your brain, Nope, that's not how my body works. That's not going to happen. But man, let's pretend just in the same way that we pretend that, you know, you're the pizza delivery guy, right? I'm going to pretend that my body can have 10 orgasms in 20 minutes and you role play it, right? There are lots of scenarios where role play, where fantasy, sex is just adult play. So there are lots of ways to incorporate fake orgasms or acting as if you're having an orgasm that aren't deceitful, that just can be really pleasurable and fun. No, absolutely. And that's such a good point because it's exciting to know that your partner is excited. 
Totally. Absolutely. And there's nothing worse than knowing that your partner's not excited. I mean, one of the things, and you know, I did this survey of biggest bedroom turnoffs for men. And one of the biggest turnoffs, number one was hygiene, but number two mm-hmm. was an unresponsive partner. You know, mm-hmm. guys hate it, hate it when they are trying to pleasure someone and she's just lying there completely silent. Mm -hmm. And so there is something to be said for, and we're not talking about faking orgasms so much as just faking, maybe being excited. And by the faking being excited, you become excited. I think, you know, that's really the point. Well, and there's also something to be said for a lot of folks. Like if you're masturbating and you tend to masturbate in silence, it might not come all that naturally to make the oohs and the the ahs and the noises to let your partner know that something is feeling good. If something is genuinely, genuinely feeling good, it's okay to push yourself a little bit extra to vocalize that, to let them know, even if it's something that might not happen organically, um, as long as it doesn't take you away from the experience, take you out of the pleasure. Not to mention that will encourage him to keep on going if you're doing the oohs and the ahs and saying, you know, add a boy, you know, you're in the right place. This is great. Well, the truth is we all like to know if what we're doing is actually working, if what we're doing is actually feeling good. And we also want to know if what we're doing is not exactly it, or if our partners know something different. Again, it's, we think it's really kind to fake. What's actually really kind is to give feedback, is to let our partners know where they're at, is to be honest with our partners about how they can do better for us, how they can have a more pleasurable experience with us. And most folks, especially folks who really care and love each other, are really, really grateful for that. And this is why when my husband rubs my feet, I tell him every 10 seconds, oh my God, this is so good. This is so good. Please going. Keep please please keep going. Please keep rubbing my feet. Okay. TMI. So yeah, I, now I think, we're crossing the line into right, other daughter talks that we don't but have. I really am talking about my feet here. <laughs> okay. As you know, I love to have my feet massaged. So on that note, I, I think we have uh, really taken this this topic as, as far as we need to. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yes, I am satisfied. I am ready to move on to something I'm, else. I'm ready to end this, this podcast. <laughs> this experience, yeah. It's been wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Till next time. See you later. Bye. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker. Thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my inside information books available on amazon.com and follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of. See the light, now I'm sleeping through